This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, you're with Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin. Tonight, the continuation of our manifesto comparisons, with the focus being on education. First, we look at what each party is offering and then later we speak to an activist who works with marginalised students to see what's most needed. Tell us, if you could solve one thing in our educational system, what would it be? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. is 6.08. And before we dive into it, just a quick reminder, we are giving away our limited edition uh, car stickers for the three best voice notes of the day. So if you have thoughts on our conversation today, you can WhatsApp them over to 018-789-8899. Um, and now, uh, education manifestos. Yeah, before that, I hope those stickers get to you before the election uh, day, right? I mean, well, otherwise I mean, like, they will still always be relevant because voting like a, is always important. To it's think like about. the postal votes, not uh, reaching uh, some of the voters. Okay, <laughs> um, let's let's go through. It's a bit of a laundry list, but okay, let's just mention a few. I'm going to start with Pakatan Harapan. Uh, so it is going to abolish the universities and universities. Colleges Act 1971. It also uh, seeks to um, accept the Unified Examination Certificate, or UEC, for public university enrollment as long as a credit for Basa Malayu. Now, there are three things that I think, or two other items related to uh, bursaries and PTPTN. So, to introduce the targeted PTPTN loan forgiveness scheme for B40 households, also to introduce B40 scholarships to reduce dependency on PTPTN loans. So that was Pakatan Harapan in terms of what they hope to do uh, for our education system. Uh, Parikatan National, meanwhile, is platforming um, among some of the things that they've talked about, free childcare and school bus services for uh, poor and hardcore poor families, uh, a 2.5 billion ringgit allocation for school maintenance, high-speed internet in classrooms, teacher lounges, um, making sure all students have access to digital devices. Uh, they also talk about about um, increasing student enrollment in the STEM fields. Um, and in fact, um, both PN and Pakatan Harapan um, talk about strengthening and elevating our TVET institutions. Yeah, which is really important, right? And it doesn't appear in the uh, Barisan National uh, laundry list of uh, of reforms or promises they're making on education. Uh, let's just point to some of the things that are quite unusual. I mean, they have um, a commitment to basic communication languages, such as Mandarin, Tamil, Iban, Karazan and Dusun uh, that will be introduced in schools and I thought that was interesting. Uh, also they are going to expand PT, PTN loans offerings to M40 students so again with many of these um, promises it, it's a lot of giveaways right the, the question is with all these um, different manifestos what's the overarching, arching, what's the overarching vision? So that's exactly it. Um, you call these a, a laundry list and, and they do read a little bit like that. And I must confess that I'm a little disappointed that there doesn't seem to be a a long-term vision in terms of how we want to strengthen our education system. Um, you know, Pumping in money is good. Um, increasing and upgrading facilities, creating digital access are all very important. But they all seem to be the kind of thing that has been bandied about for quite a bit. Um, and people talk about it all the time. We don't necessarily see it translating into a lot on the ground. In fact, I think Malaysia uh, does allocate a, a huge amount of the budget to education, but we're not getting bang for a buck, right? And, and in fact, I think the, the off-quoted uh, uh, statistic is that, or rather insight into our education system, that people go through 12 years of schooling, but they only get really nine years worth of education. And we see us falling on so many of the indices, uh, especially not just kind of globally, but within the region as well. I mean, um, never mind Singapore, but Vietnam, way ahead of us. Yeah, so... I think it's interesting to look at these manifestos and do a comparison in terms of what they um, what they envision for the future of our education system. But 
at least at the cursory glance, it feels like they're not going far enough uh, in terms of putting in place good long-term big picture policies. Uh, but we will unpack um, the manifestos with our guest later. We'll be speaking with Shahnas Al-Sadat, who is chairperson at Leap Ed Services. And we'd like to hear from you. If you could solve one thing in our educational system, what would it be? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 6.13. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're continuing our um, analysis and discussion on the manifestos and the various issues. Today, we're focusing on education. And if we're, and we're asking you, if you could solve one thing in our education system, what would it be? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, joining us on the line is Shahnaz Al-Sadat, Chairperson of Leap Ed Services. Shahnaz, good to have you with us again. Um, now, were you invested in finding out what each coalition was offering in terms of education? Of course, given that uh, I'm very interested in the education space, I'm apolitical, I'm not a member of any political parties um, and probably would not make a decision just based on this. But as a professional, I review it to just see what will be the emphasis uh, by each of uh, the coalition or the party that we are going to be voting in next Friday, sorry, next Saturday on the 19th of November. Uh, yeah, so I'm invested to just see what are their, what are their emphasis. Now, looking at each manifesto, how different would you say their focuses are? Uh, I actually don't think uh, there's a huge difference. Uh, if I look at the top three coalition here, lah, I mean, uh, Barisan Nasional, Pakatan Harapan and Perikatan Nasional, uh, that's not a really a huge difference. I always look at three things, whether their emphasis is around uh, access or the emphasis around uh, quality. And I must admit, I didn't have a high expectation going to this review. I understand that quality might be a long-term play. And at the moment, the parties, I think, are just making sure that they get into a position of power and hopefully they can do something in the five years that they are going to be as a government. And I can see quite a lot of focus are being put into access, which are probably an easier thing to do. So if I have to identify differences uh, in the three here, I think uh, when I look at the Barisan Nasional one, given that they were in uh, power for a long time, it is a, a bit of a longer list, but um, I do feel that at the end of the day, it's still just addressing the digital access. And our experience in the last two or three years, uh, you know, giving devices and just giving uh, internet uh, connectivity itself will not improve the quality of the education. It needs to be uh, coupled with teaching capabilities and le positive learning environment, for example. But I can see that they are focusing a lot on digital. So a lot of internet, a lot of digital devices, a lot of laptops being given uh, to B40, to the Ministry of Education. Um, so I guess their, their emphasis will be digitizing uh, the education part. Uh, it may not be complete, uh, however, in that sense. But if I then compare it a little bit uh, with, say, Pakatan Harapan, which I thought were pretty light for basic education, and I look at it as a, a very much, I guess, thing that they can immediately do, but quite a fair bit here, I think, is the statement that they're trying to make this a more of a fair allocation, fairer distribution, I think, among all the different types of schools, so SJKC, SJKT, MRSM, the SBP, and so on. I guess it's addressing, I mean, just calling a spade a spade here, it's just addressing the issue that, uh, that the schools are very divisive when it comes to races, but they they're just looking at fair allocation, so they're thinking money is the problem, but probably not addressing the root cause, which is actually the, the divisive nature of all these uh, types of schools. Uh, they are looking at recognizing UEC, so this is quite interesting because this is specific to 
probably the Chinese uh, school goers uh, as an alternate to the SPM results. Uh, it, that in itself, I no problem as a policy. I'm just uh, interested to see why it is actually identified as a national initiative in a manifesto. But they're pretty, pretty like uh, on the basic education. If you look at a Prikatan uh, Nasional, uh, there's a, some surprises in there in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, they are actually doing a special fund for Tahfi schools to participate in TVET classes, which is a, a little bit uh, interesting because it's so niche. I'm not so quite sure what data that have been looked at in order to uh, derive as that as an importance at a national policy level. Barisan National, uh, interesting enough, actually do identify that uh, we need to improve improve the teaching, the 21st century teaching uh, in the classrooms. Um, though it does go straight away to looking at content, which is like coding and, you know, basic communication languages and stuff, which is okay. Uh, but at least it's addressing what needs to happen in the classroom. And I think this is the only one that actually address teachers, uh, which I think is an important part of quality. Uh, that means to promote teaching as a preferred and highly prestigious profession and increasing the number of master teachers by 10%. So I think that's quite interesting. In terms of the higher education, I must say all three are quite similar. They all look at giving free higher education to uh, B40 students, which I, I think it is a necessary thing to do. They all are looking at PT, PTNs uh, related givings. Uh, I do think Barisan said the only one who addressed the early childhood care that I should also say that uh, is a free, they are willing to provide free national early childhood care and education, which I think easy to say as a statement. Uh, quite interestingly, I think the issue here is around capacity, whether the, all the government schools will now have enough early childhood care classes. I think that's part of the action plan that they need to put in place. So there's some very much similar, but there's just probably uh, two or three things that's a bit different uh, on this tree. So among these promises that you just went through, uh, which ones are you hoping to see them follow through on? Um, I think the part about promoting uh, teaching as a preferred and highly prestigious profession, though this is a statement by Barisan Nasuna, uh, that, that could be, uh, I think, as a potential if uh, we actually get it executed well um, and linking that to the in, the improving the quality in the classrooms, right? The 21st century skills in the classroom. I think if we do that well, uh, so that I think that stood out to me as uh, something that we can pursue to ensure execution can be done. Uh, that's on Barisan. On the others, I must say, I mean, uh, it's infrastructure and access, which has been a play that we've been doing uh, all this time. Um, I do I, I do identify Perikatan National's uh, special education services. I think that's something that they have called out um, uh, as an emphasis that they want to take on. So I think maybe that's uh, worth looking at as well. Now, going back to the pledge you make, uh, the pledge to make higher education free for B40 families, you said it's a necessary thing to do and all parties are offering this. Is it because it's low-hanging fruit? And if so, um, why wasn't it done before? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, yes. So I think uh, today, I think the government plays a bit of a passive role in the sense that the leave it to the scholarship providers, right? Uh, of course, in the past, I think JPA plays a quite a big role in the provision. It is, I think, over the last ten years, that provision probably has kind of the decline on a decline basis. Um, yeah, and I and I do agree. It is a it's a low hanging fruit. Well, uh, it is not going to be easy from a funding perspective. I think that still need to be evaluated. Um, but, you know, I think it makes sense. And uh, they all are not explicit about this. I'm hoping that it will be made applicable to all B40 families. So it's not going to be race-based, right? It's based on needs. So as long as you are B40 families, you should get access to free higher education. Uh, I must say, I think, uh, sorry, I must admit that Perikatan National is not explicit on that. It actually says it wants to give a one-off initial study financial aid for new students. So this is for all. And that, that's an ongoing debate. Uh, I think around uh, students who are 
even at the initial stage of going to the higher education, uh, you know, may not have the necessary uh, resources to go to the higher education. And I must admit, I think if the data point that they're looking at uh, currently that's an issue is that 70% of the students in the secondary school, the Form 4 and the Form 5, are not looking to go to the higher education. Uh, you know, they actually prefer to actually just enter the workforce. And this might be something that uh, may be uh, necessary to get them there, uh, given that you know in the long term, head of families who are not a graduate actually earns you know, 40 or 50% less than a higher education graduate as a head of family. So we need to look at that because there, there will be a societal impact. So this is going to be a trade-off though, okay? So you only come out with have funds just for the B40 because it probably address needs and make sure they come out from poverty. Or do you address this really nationwide issue that if more students are not going into the higher education and getting you know higher skills before they enter the workforce, that we are going to have a long-term issue here. So this is quite an interesting trade-off to me. But Shahnas, let let me ask you this, right? Is education reform a one electoral cycle issue? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a long-term play, kan? education, eh? uh, particularly on the quality. When I was scrunching around, I may have missed this, but none of these three coalitions actually talk about working with the existing a network that's already there around, you know, the non-government organizations, CSPOs and all that. Uh, actually, who are already doing good work today. I wish somebody would have actually just brought that out as something that's necessary because you need to do the continuation. Uh, you can't go in and just, you know, throw in a device, throw in internet, throw in 5G, and then hoping that everything else will be taken care of. So I completely agree. It is a long-term play. And I, and I wish it's much more clearer around what would they want to do in the short term and then what would they think that they want to do to prepare for the long term, uh, even if they are not going to be the one staying beyond the five years. I mean, this is why it's so difficult uh, to get out from the parties today, uh, you know, like uh, to plan for something that's even uh, in a longer term, even they're not going to be there. But I agree it's not one-term uh, play. And I wish there's a little bit more continuation rather than, you know, just new things that's coming in. So in closing, what sort of long-term big picture initiatives would you like to see? Uh, given that uh, the challenge that teachers are facing today against uh, the need of community, the need of uh, global needs in the future are so much different than what was in the past. So I think teachers need more support there. Um, so I would have loved to have to see a little bit more uh, in that aspect. I probably would love to see more uh, around, uh, yeah, supporting coalitions or supporting uh, a network. You know, uh, so maybe not just uh, what government can do, but what can government support others to connect to what government is actually doing around quality of education. Um, yeah, but for me, quality is the. Uh, Quality is a game-changing uh, play, actually, for Malaysia, not access uh, or not infrastructure. Um, so I would love to see more from long-term things to address uh, quality. So if we do feel that, uh, you know, um, literacy, numeracy, quality has suffered because of the pandemic, for example, there's nothing here trying to address. How do you accelerate that part? Uh, and for me, I think teachers' competencies is probably one of the biggest uh, levers of change uh, here. But there's no nobody's going to make an investment fairly uh, because people think that emoluments emoluments take care of their salary and that's good enough. But actually, you need to invest in sweating the assets. You can and actually, you know, you need to build on their competencies so they get more competent and more. Uh, I, I wouldn't say the word productive, but just to increase the quality of per ringgit you spend on their emolument. So that's why I would have wished uh, to see. I didn't get to see that, unfortunately. <laughs> Shahnaz, thanks for speaking with us. That was Shahnaz Al-Sadat, Chairperson of Leap Ed Services, uh, helping us analyse the different 
different uh, coalition manifestos when it comes to education. And we've been asking you, if you could solve one thing in our educational system, what would it be? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we are giving away our limited edition BFM car stickers uh, for the three best voice notes of the day. Uh, so send them through. You can WhatsApp them once again to zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. We'll uh, get to your messages, your voice notes after this. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM eighty nine point nine. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. It's 6.38. You're listening to Sharmila and Sharad on Inside Story. And we're talking about um, education and uh, the way it's being approached in the various coalition manifestos. And we've been asking you, if you could solve one thing in our education system, what would it be? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have a caller on the line. Uh, good evening, Nick, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts on the matter is actually we, we go back to the basics of one um, and, you know, we, we tackle the teachers themselves. But I think the teachers right now, um, the level of upskilling that, they, that they're currently undergoing um, is probably, there's not been updated for God knows how, how long. Uh, and you see it very evidently. With, with kids learning English in Malay and Malay in English, vice versa. And there's so much confusion uh, with them in regards to, you know, the, the continuously changing syllabus. So I think uh, if there's anything I could change, it would be that, like, you know, upskilling the teachers, making sure that, you know, the quality teachers that we have in Malaysia right now is, is at par with, with our neighboring countries. Nick, thank you for your thoughts. Um, if you'd like to get in touch and share your thoughts with us, we are asking you, um, if you could change one thing about our, about our education system, what would it be? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp or voice note, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Yeah, one of the shocking things that, cause that happened during the, you know, the the years of the pandemic, at least in the early years, which is the school shutdowns. And on top of that, you know, this attempt to um, migrate learning onto online platforms and television and such failed in, in large part, I think, and this was discovered by an economist here, that many teachers weren't showing up for classes. So 20, if 23% of your teaching staff don't turn up for class, it says something about the profession. And, you know, so it might not be just upskilling. I mean, it must be a whole... Um, reinvigoration of the teaching profession to remind them of their you know essential duties and what happened to 23% of teachers who didn't turn up for those classes so remind them of their duty though um does have to come with all the other things that constantly come up, right? Paying them well, giving them uh, benefits that are useful, treating, not overworking them, making sure that the system supports them in terms of what's expected of them. And when we fall, when all of this falls through, um, what is the motivation then for them to go there and give it give it their 100%? Well, I think it's, you know, and I, it sounds a bit much coming from somebody who's not a teacher, but, you know, it must be the children. To abandon <laughs> your children, uh, you know, who are completely reliant on you and you know and this I think is not also quite in the manifestos um, is that you know there's this deficit that was created by 44 weeks of a school shutdown Singapore had four weeks of school shutdown. We had 44 weeks. It's extraordinary. It was the longest in the world. And I think the government of the day uh, has to be held accountable for those decisions they made that have long-term implications for uh, the children of that generation. Well, we do have a voice note on um, educational reform. This is Kenya. If I'm given the chance to reform the educations, I would do a total reforms. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm a Western's educations worshippers, but I would say that the uh, Western's way of uh, educating their uh, kids, it's much more relevant to what we need right now. I mean, from exposing themselves, uh, sorry, expose the kids to the interests that they like, and then on the secondary levels, we we encourage the kids to follow their path of interest so that they will 
learn something or they will expose something that they like instead of just forcing them or spoon feeding them uh, with some of the knowledges that they are not interested with and then ends up during the examinations uh, they are not doing well in the examinations they got a very bad results and so on and so forth so I will prefer a total reforms of the entire education systems I do not know how yet but maybe uh, someone know how thank you Kenya, thank you for that. Um, if you'd like to send in a voice note, we are giving away our limited edition GE15 car stickers, BFM car stickers, uh, for the best three voice notes of the day. You can send them over to 018-789-8899. You can call us as well at double seven double three two nine hundred. You know, Kenya, it, it strikes me, um, and I certainly don't expect you to know how the reforms um, should take place, but this is what all of those um, lawatan to, you know, learn from other countries and what systems can we implement there's been there have been so many of these efforts over the years but the problem is that with every subsequent education minister whatever that was brought in by the previous minister gets thrown out new things get introduced and it feels like there's very little follow through from uh, administration to administration there's another thing and it was brought up uh, brought to my attention by someone who actually does uh, research i mean he's since passed but he did research in schools and he was once a teacher himself that in fact some of the young teachers coming out of the training, you know, bring all this new methodology. You're saying, Ken, you know, you know, let's throw out the rote learning and put in, you know, stuff that, you know, really animates the kids. And what he pointed out was there was a dampening effect within the schools that teachers who were enthusiastic and had new methods, you know, got the kids excited. But this actually threatened the older teachers or, or the other teachers who didn't want to put in as much work. And so there was a there was was a you know an attempt to make them conform to the standard of the school so this is a very interesting thing because it comes back to the core question of teachers and schools and their own culture so speaking of conforming we have this voice note from munif evening everyone um i would personally like to solve this particular issue um, the issue where students generally, a chunk of them at least, gravitate to art stream, um, technical or even vocational courses, not out of passion for said courses, but more out of fear for the science stream or science-related subjects. Because as we all know, um, science subjects has always been seen as, as dreadful and scary and as a very heavy chore. So uh, taking a page out of the U.S. education system, well, one of the education ministers once said that there are two things that gets children or students into science, which is space and dinosaurs. So we should introduce paleontology, cosmology, and all these fun, larger-than-life subjects back into the syllabus to bring back fun into the science. I mean, back in the day, um, my parents even studied the subject called Ilmu Alam, where they learn about like ancient Mayan temples and the Great Lakes in the US and all that. So, yeah, I believe we should instill a sense of wonder and amazement and amusement back into science. Uh, for us to achieve our goal to be a high performing country, we need more science stream students. So, yeah, that's my thought. Thank you for that, Munif. Yeah, very interesting, Munif, about, you know, instilling a sense of amazement and re-enchantment uh, with the world around them. And I think the kids of this generation, you know, I mean, we talk about dinosaurs, you know, facing extinction. Uh, you know, the, the planet is facing possibly the sixth extinction. And so, you know, getting kids interested in saving the planet and being part of the solution to address climate change, I think should be in the syllabus too. I, I think that, you know, and and teaching them how beautiful the planet is and how it needs to be protected, yeah, that would be wonderful. Number of people bringing up very similar points. Izati says, I would really love to see the change from learn at school to score exams to learn because I want to, because I'm curious to use it in life, um, i.e. self from uh, exam-oriented to self-directed learning. Um, and then Izati also says, to emphasize PJK, the kids need to channel their energy physically too and to promote a healthy lifestyle. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin also says, more sports in school and music. And I think all circling this point that... Schools should and education isn't 
largely shouldn't just be about passing exams. Um, it should prepare students um, in terms of acquiring knowledge, in terms of becoming well-rounded individuals. Become good citizens. Absolutely. I, I, I want to, uh, you know, kind of pick up on that music thing, because I did once take a grab, uh, and the, the driver was a former music teacher in our school systems, and he was telling me something about what had changed about music education in schools. And we see in countries like Venezuela this amazing transformation that can happen when you have a thoughtful music program, and, you know, it can be done nationally. Again, building, and it doesn't it doesn't matter, they don't have to be virtuoso, you know, guitar or violin or, you know, or, or flute players. All they need to do is to discover talents within them, right? And so that aspect of education, I think, yeah, music would be great too. Let us know if you could solve one thing in our education system, what would it be? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. It's 6.50. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about education and uh, what the different party manifestos say in terms of um, elevating our educational system. And we've been asking you, if you could change one thing about our education system, uh, what would it be? You can call us, you can WhatsApp us, you can send us a voice note, and you can tweet us. Um, let's start on this side of things with a, another voice note. This is from Fayad. Hi, guys. Um, regarding the education system, if I could change one thing, it would be to match the tertiary education with the possible job scope. Um, one of the most crucial issues that we have right now is actually underemployment. It's not just unemployment, it's the fact that our tertiary education students are not really working in the field that they should be working. Um, This has been rarely addressed, even under the Department of Statistics Malaysia. We don't really see underemployment being published. So the statistic itself, it's a bit of a ghost statistic. Um, but I still think that it's one of the most crucial issues that we have right now, and it's overlooked. Fayad, thank you for that. Um, if you'd like to send in um, a voice note, we are giving away uh, GE15 limited edition car stickers to the top three um, voice notes today. You can send them over to 018-789-8899. Uh, you know, I'm so glad you brought up uh, this issue of underemployment because it's not something that's necessarily been addressed directly uh, in any of the manifestos that I can see. They do talk about TVET and the importance of developing those, but um, I think that's a really important thing to, t- to think about. Yeah, I I must say there is something to be said also for the integrity of a university in in uh, in in making available a full complement of courses, right? Not just courses that produce or are directed towards jobs, but the lack of understanding of the relationship between tertiary education and the job, or you know what what's available in the job market. I think it's important. It does come back to the question of unemployment. Uh, I, I do think there's another conversation that needs to be had, fired, which is that um, the, ex- the presumption we had in the past that a tertiary education would lead to a certain premium in terms of wages has just not borne out. And it's becoming less and less so, especially in more integrated and more mature economies where there are different approaches to what is talent and what is defined as talent and what gets or who gets recruited into uh, a company that it might not be uh, all about your uh, your university education. Well, um, an, an anonymous listener says not everyone has the potential to do tertiary studies. Uh, the government should also invest heavily in vocational studies uh, and also to aid non-graduates to be entrepreneurs to raise the minimum wage uh, so as to reduce our reliance on foreign workers. And, and that is actually um, what I mean when we talk about a bigger picture, long-term uh, approach to what education is, right? Not just um, handouts, not just improvements in the short term, but thinking about 
what we want our education and job landscape to look like in the future. Yeah, Shazna, uh, Shahnaz, uh, you know, Al-Sadab, who we interviewed earlier, you know, had some really important things. She, what she said, I think one of the, uh, the major takeaways from that interview for me was she said that the issue really is quality. So what you do with access is that, you you know, you kind of flood the market and, you you know, you kind of like say, yes, well, everybody has a chance. But then, then there's a real downside to that in terms of the quality of the students getting into university. And I know this is a difficult conversation because people will say, oh, you're being elitist and such. But it it does it does, in fact, have an impact if you know, uh, and the massification of higher education has had a lot of downsides. And what the Shahnaz uh, Sh- is pointing to is the need to change the conversation in Malaysia uh, from access to the question of quality. On um, perhaps something that um, hasn't quite come up yet, we do have this voice note from Bahari. You are able to reform uh, the system of education in Malaysia. I would like to make sure that uh, we are going to emphasize on language studies. Uh, so everyone in the national school uh, can choose uh, to learn more than more than three languages, we can put it in a section. For example, like uh, Mandarin, Arabic, and Hindi. Uh, we can put in an uh, as business language. Many don't realize that, for example, Hindi and Arabic, aside uh, Mandarin, are actually very important in the trading world. Uh, and a good thing about Hindi. For example, most of us Malaysian are actually able to actually use the same vocal, the same vocab in the Hindi because of the Arabic and Sanskrit influence. As for persons who are students or who are interested more on heritage, culture, and etc., we can put a language studies in a group of heritage language. For example, we can put Hokkien, Sanskrit, Bahasa Melayu, Bahasa Melayu classic, and many more, and even honestly language. Learning language are more than just like language. It can be related to almost everything, you know? Uh, yeah, that's my idea. Yes, of course, uh, Bahasa Melayu or Bahasa Malaysia Bahasa Melayu modern or Bahasa Malaysia are still compulsory and English. Uh, and like I said, uh, for the uh, business languages, we should, I mean, we, sh- we should stop, you know, uh, seeing Arabic, for example, as a religious language. We, sh- we must see it beyond that. Okay, thank you. Bahari, thanks for that. Um- so many interesting points there about uh, not just the importance of learning languages, but even the ways in which learning different kinds of languages can open up opportunities for students. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, with language uh, policy and education, I think we've we've been captive of a kind of defensive uh, and somewhat insular kind of approach to languages. So the 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 uh, the strength that we had as a nation coming into independence was that we had this multilingual society. We not really, in many ways, uh, parlayed that into you know larger strengths. Uh, the fact that the you know the the Chinese school system has survived and and flourished is a credit to them. You know, not it wasn't so much about national policy. It's just the tenacity of Chinese educators to keep that system alive. And you know, I, I do think that you know um, you know Barry's you absolutely. Right. I mean, not to see uh, Arabic purely as a religious language, but also as a language of a particular region and the potential there with commerce and uh, and Hindi, too. So, yeah, I mean, we need a much more kind of intellectually generous approach to thinking about our education system. There's just been so much politicization and defensiveness. Well, quite predictably, um, this theme comes up every time we talk about um, education. We have Winston saying uh, revamp the quota system, abolish matriculation because matriculation produces quantity and not quality students to university. Mizi, meanwhile, says, I do away with the racial quota for education and clamp down in allowing rich cronies to take advantage of government-sponsored higher education. Uh, Also, develop comprehensive and progressive TVET syllabus, which must not overlook agriculture and fishery aspects. Humans can't live on microchips alone.
Indeed, they can't. And, you know, food security is a huge issue. You know, I think how often do we hear our universities responding to the multiple crises that we have? You know, whether it's got to do with climate change or uh, our food or, you know, um, the way in which land use, uh, you know, is encroaching on forests and, and diminishing our quality of life. I mean, all that, I'd love to hear more, you know, education is talking about education and not politicians. Let us know. If you could solve one thing in our educational system, what would it be? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us, and we'll get back, uh, we'll be back after this with more of your messages. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. It's just coming up to 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been asking you, if you could change one thing about our education system, what would it be? Um, and that's, of course, because we've been discussing the education focus on the various party manifestos. And uh, so that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp or voice note, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with this voice note from Davina. I, for one, think that Malaysia is in dire need of qualified teachers who can actually pay attention to each and every one of the students, regardless of, you know, the teacher's preferences of the students or regardless of their academic performance, because every student deserves quality education. And I also do not think that digitalizing education will make such a huge impact because I think digitalizing education is one of the reasons that more and more kids these days have trouble concentrating and studying because uh, you know like uh, all the notes all the study materials are on laptops are on ipads and um, those gadgets inevitably provide distraction which is uh, not good for the long run and it's it's not um, it's not as effective uh, as the paperback textbooks, in my opinion. Davina, thank you for those thoughts. Um, you know, that's a really interesting one, right? Because I feel like I feel like we have to think of technology and all of these digital aspects as tools um, and not immediately adopt things just because it's fashionable or topical or trendy to do it, but to think about how they feed into our system and what our system requires. Yeah, Davina, your point about teachers, you know, echoes what a lot of people have said, you know, this evening about the need to invest in the teachers and not just simply, yes, I mean, think about their pay and structure and all that. In fact, in recruiting some of the best minds that we have into the teaching system, we, you know, and it's often said of very successful school systems that they put, you know, PhDs and people who are themselves highly educated in foundational education, uh, you know, so they're there in primary school. And so we, in many ways, got things upside down all these years. And I think that you're right. I mean, there are no easy fixes. You know, digitization is something politicians like to talk about because it's easy and it's something they can throw money at. But the difficult thing is people. How do you create that cohort of teachers that are attuned to students? And so we're talking about this really funny thing, right? People. We also have um, Azamin, um, and this is a voice note from Azamin. One thing that I have hoped uh, to be addressed, uh, perhaps in the manifesto, uh, is the higher education cost. Uh, but of course, we don't see that coming uh, from any party anytime soon. Uh, the best that they come up with. Uh, related to this issue is only addressing the symptom uh, which is uh, higher education financing but not uh, the the original the actual cost itself as I mean, thank you for that. And, and you know, I think that point about addressing symptoms and not the root um, is something that I feel is almost across the board. A lot of the, a lot of the solutions or the things that the manifesto hi- manifestos highlight um, are not necessarily looking at large scale systemic changes, but instead of 
more short term? How do we address um, so things like PTPTN, for instance? Sure, it is very helpful to extend it or it's helpful to forgive loans. But what does that say in a larger sense about the fact that so many people can't afford tertiary education? Yeah, and it goes back to, I mean, you know, I think the manifestos have to cover so much, right? Foundational, secondary school and then tertiary education. Each of them have different dynamics. But one of the things I, uh, I've noticed talking to friends, middle class friends, who, you know, for whom the failure of our national schools means they're now putting their children in, into private education that has a national uh, curriculum as private education. They're spending between twenty and 30000 annually for a single child. Now, that's something my parents didn't even have to think about until I got to, high, to university. You know, the trust that your basic education could be not only cheap, but also of good quality, I think is long, you know, long, no longer the presumption that people make. And what about the burden? So much of money is being spent by the M40 uh, to educate their children and protect them from, you know, a failing public education system. So a number of people coming in, um, I think back to that point about not just providing an education for education's sake, but to actually um, encourage the pursuit of knowledge, right? Amiral says the pursuit for knowledge should be rewarding and entertaining. To have an education system that not only measures merit, but also one's lacks. Currently, those who are in the lower income are getting left behind further and further. External tuition can be expensive. We need to reach a point where one probably doesn't need extra classes. Um, perhaps the difference of household income won't matter by then. After uh, all in all, the education system that teaches us the basics of being a human being, we are lacking empathy these days and an emphasis on arts. You could have the most sophisticated features, but without beautiful designs, wild human imagination, they are nothing but a shell of something. Yeah, this is, uh, again, you know, uh, comes back to the, the myriad uh, uh, dimensions of the education problem. But uh, I do feel that sometimes, you know, um, we forget that education for the state has many purposes, right? It, it's to help industry. Uh, often it's about instilling social conformity. And so we see in our schools, uh, and including our, our universities, until recently, I mean, you know, we had the debacle with Fami Reza's. The, the universities and the public universities have almost largely failed uh, to help kids develop that sense of curiosity of the world and to ask the right questions and to treat, you know, a visiting speaker as a national security threat. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And Amiral, your point about students in the lower income groups getting left behind is exactly what we're going to be talking about after this. Um, and uh, essentially, we're going to be uh, we're going to look at what the issues are when children from marginalized communities don't get the same sort of access to education. Uh, so uh, for that, we'll be joined by Selva, Selva Muller Selvaraju, who is the co-founder of MySkills Foundation, as well as CEO of Primus Wellness. Um, in the meantime, keep sending your thoughts through. If you could change one thing about our education system, what would it be? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Break from mediocrity. BFM 89.9. It's 7.16. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're closing off our conversation um, on the education portions of the various party manifestos by looking at what the priority should be when it comes to marginal... Excuse me. What the priorities should be when it comes to marginalized communities. And uh, we'd like to hear from you. If you could change one thing about our education system, what would it be? You can call us, you can WhatsApp us, you can send us a voice note, you can tweet us. Uh, joining us now is Silva Muller Selvaraju, co founder of My Skills Foundation and CEO of Primus Wellness, who's a, a social enterprise working with marginalized communities. Selva, good to have you with us. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so <laughs> we've been spending uh, the last chunk of our show talking about the manifestos offered by the parties and uh, particularly their focus on education. How do you feel about the policies on offer? Actually, I'm kind of excited because you never get to see uh, all this while. Uh, I don't think we get to see such manifestos because it's inclusive and it addresses diversity and it also promotes unity. So it has actually never before. So uh, we have to give some kind of I don't know, a credit or thumbs up to the parties for finally giving the people of Malaysia what we really desire and we wanted all this while. Yeah. Now, across the board, uh, how do these promises measure up to you when it comes to the focus on uh, students from the B40 group? 
that part yeah yes and no i'm a bit actually mixed here mixed feelings because sometimes promises uh y- you know you want to see promises being fulfilled by the winning parties and i think they, i'm afraid that they i don't want them to use b40 as a fancy term in manifestos just to attract you know a pocket of voters you know uh, it's like if you put a b40 then you are kind of like i'm i'm the savior of a b40 i'm actually doing these things uh, just on the surface on the manifesto but Uh, you have to actually remember that B40 students are not um, you 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 cannot just generalize them as uh, all are actually poor students you know sometimes they are divided you have the smart ones within the B40 community there are also uh, a majority of them who are not well versed academically so i noticed that some of the um, uh, ideas that brought by the parties in the manifestos uh it it's actually addressing only the one side of the b40 meaning the good ones the smart ones within the b40 but i think some of them i mean some of the a few of the parties have actually overlooked of the the other side of the b40 who are the majority who are not so academically inclined uh, who's actually uh, having other issues other b40 issues dysfunctional family dysfunction dysfunctional socio economical issues and other stuff yeah so overall then keeping all of that in mind which party actually offers the most holistic approach in addressing the needs of underprivileged students you see this is a tough question because if you look at uh, bn uh, you know they are giving free laptops 5g in all schools within 18 months no textbooks and then you have pn allocating 2.5 billion looking at children with disabilities then you have harappan with loan forgiveness scholarship for b40 ipta seats for b40 um they have whole list but i personally what i feel is um at the end of the day uh, it is not sufficient for you to just give laptops breakfast free a free breakfast 5g internet connection cash handouts and then expect the b40 children or students to make it big in their lives so there must be some kind of a support system to continuously track and monitor such students so um that perspective i actually see ph and bn as actually done a uh, quite a good job in actually addressing it but in terms of realistic and practical measures i think ph has actually outscored because they have learned so much from their previous mistakes i guess because they have carefully taken into consideration of structural factors um, looking at uh, you know when they mentioned that the zero reject policy for tvet so that's something very good i feel because if you have students from the b40 who are not academically inclined they don't have the requirements to enroll into uh, government run public institutions as example like tvet institutions like ilp or ikbn you can't just reject them just like that because they don't have a safety net you know where do they go if they don't get uh, accepted into government run institutions so that kind of thing i think uh, ph has a bit outscored other parties yeah so mara could you help us understand you know you you talked a little bit about the this uh, that this group is not in fact homogenous right so in when it comes to some of the problems they face uh that government can uh, intervene in and especially government you know coming from the ministry of education side i mean mm. what what exactly would those be well you see the education system okay first thing is for b40 i mean we are talking about b40 here right if you are really a good scorer you know getting a seat into government institutes it's a bit definitely it's difficult even recently i received a call from this girl who's from a b40 family she got a 10 as and she didn't get a seat in the ipta uh, institute uh, university so that was like okay and uh, this this kind of thing like where do you go after that you know that actually she qualifies and she comes back and she tells you another girl who got lesser than that got a seat into government university so this kind of thing we don't want this thing to be happening so when actually i saw a few manifestos uh, they have mentioned that uh, getting a seat for b40 kids especially the high scorers into ipta that's a bit interesting yeah into public institutes uh, that's actually very welcoming so that's very good but in terms of those who are not scoring let's go to students who are not doing well b40 students who are not doing well who are not academically inclined i won't say they are not smart it's just that they are not academically inclined so they want to go into uh, skills training institutes tvet institutions so it's not easy as well so that's a, that's a that's a funny thing about this because you 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 even if you pass few subjects sometimes you don't get a seat into government institutes or government run skills training institutes so there's a there's a question here why are they not actually enrolled in okay the next question is they say okay not seats available but we do know that sometimes uh, these institutes they'll be actually fishing for students they'll be saying that okay there are seats available 
So there's always mismatch in this. So I think that the, the really the, the government or the winning party in future or, um, you know, the ruling government, whoever is going to be, so they have to actually look into this aspect of getting the B40 students, regardless of race, religion, color, if they have what it takes to go into a government institute, be it a TVAD institute, so IPT, just take them in. So we've been asking our listeners this throughout the show. Um, what is the one thing you would most like to fix about our education system? I want genuinely expert people on our education system. Like to see people who are genuinely expert on education system to be in power and take charge of our children's education. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, civil servants, they can do well, but if they are not well-versed in the education, the changes, the transformations that are taking place, then I think I think it is not sufficient. And also to place importance on our teachers. More often, we always forget about our teachers because teachers are very important, especially maintaining teachers at the foundation stage. So the emphasis is firmly placed. We should, we should um, emphasize on the education and care at a decent level of funding to be provided to support children's centers, uh, to offer early intervention. So that's very, very important. And also urgently, I think we need a strategic policy to attract and retain high quality graduates. High, I, I need to repeat this. We need to attract and retain high quality graduates into teaching because we need fully diverse and representative cohort of professionals for children to look up and then to be inspired by. So you, you, you also need these schools to teach values, not moral as a subject. My God, I've been like, this moral thing as a subject, I've been like, oh, memorizing values? No, we need schools to teach values, educate on race. Because Malaysia is a unique multiracial country. We need to teach race in school, man. And we need to learn about each other. Even I don't know much about my fellow Sabahans and Sarawakians. And we need to promote critical, analytical thinking. I still remember what my late Professor Azahari from UPM told me. He said the first day of the class was leadership class anyway. It's an elective subject I took and he said, Today, I'm not going to give you a A at the end of this class. I just want you to think. Promise me you will think. That's what he said. At the end of the class, I want you to think after my six uh, months, after the term finishes. So I, I think education has to be seen an investment, not a burden. Government has to pump in money and then invest on our teachers and teach values, teach people to think, teach Malaysians to think. And I'm sure we can really, really fly high. Okay, speaking of thinking and maybe rethinking, uh, I want to come back to the question of TVET, of, of vocational education. Uh, are there popular notions about education and social mobility that prevent the government and other institutions from promoting TVET? Oh my, yes, yes. The stigma, the stigma around TVET education is too much. I even remember that we wrote an article in this book of, um, I, I forgot, the contemporary... A dilemma, a, a, a topic on uh, TVET being a dumping ground. You know, the stigma around TVET education is because our national education system has long placed too much emphasis and importance on academic achievement. You achieve an A, then you are a bright kid. You know, you are looked up. People love you. You give more scholarship for straight A's. Excuse me? Even if they get three B's or three A's, why can't you? I, I still remember, I think, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the banks, they were actually offering scholarship only for uh, three A's or three B's. I don't remember the bank. But I was so happy that at least you are looking at people who are also scoring B. My, you, you, you have to change your mindset in looking at also uh, children who are, uh, who are also achieving, even if, not academic achieve, if, it, if it's not an academic achievement. We need institutional reforms, change of culture, shift of mindset. A is not everything anymore. A is definitely not everything anymore. Of course, you want your children to do well, but it, it's all about you, the children, the child, what they can do as a person, being curious. They're exploring things. Who are they? Their skills, their talents. And they then they will pave their way, working their way to see their big dream coming true. So if we don't give the, our children the platform to think about who they are, to be curious, to find out, and Sharad and Shamila, I'm sure you wouldn't have actually dreamt yourself, uh, you know, thinking that you will become a DJ or, or, or RJ or BFM one day, right? I mean, you would have been pushed by your typical parents, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But you took that decision, man. That's what we need to instill in all our children, be it B40 or not B40. We need to give them their rooms. We need to tell them that, okay, you can dream big. Do it your way. So our education system has to look into that aspect. That's what I believe. Yeah. 
So while we have just about um, 30 seconds left, what would you like to leave us with in terms of your hopes for this election and what you'd like to see happen after? Well, you see, I just want to see promises fulfilled. Enough of empty promises. And and sometimes you feel like, okay, we have been working with the B40 community. I want, I, I believe in our leaders. I really believe in our leaders. And I think Malaysians, we all believe in our leaders. We just want you to believe in the people and believe in our people, uh, whether they are B40, M40. Just, just see us as people. I mean, do not divide us by religion, race, creed. Just give us the... the the, the mandate that you when you when you write down something on your manifesto, make sure you just fulfill it, fulfill it. And if you're not going to fulfill it, I think it cannot be a, a, for a campaign per se. You 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 introduce such manifesto, get us excited, and then after <laughs> after you take on the uh, I don't know you when you take on the you know the country, then you forget about your manifestos. No, no, we are going to measure you. We are going to see how are you going <laughs> to uh, achieve whatever you have actually promised us. I think that's what we're going to do. I mean, civil, civil, uh, civil, uh, civil society members like me. I don't know. I think we this round we are all prepared. Uh, we just want to make sure that you fulfill your promises. That's it. Selva, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Selva Muller, Selva Raju, co-founder of My Skills Foundation. Keep those thoughts coming. And you've been listening to Inside Story, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.